Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. We are still in the Easter season, and a blessed Easter to all of you this Wednesday, May the 25th, which is actually Ascension Eve, if you will, as the light of Christ shines on us from Genesis chapter 3. The universe was perfect and in order. Man and woman living in marriage bliss. Perfect fruit to eat. Just one tree not to eat. Everything else was as free as anything. Walking with the Lord. But then the serpent appears. This event in history changed everything and everyone. The implications are felt by each one of us. Sin, death, entered the world through one man. But already the promise that comes from another man is there for us today. Open up your Bibles as we hear these words once again. You might think you know them perfectly, but every year that I teach this in confirmation, I learn something new. So may the Holy Spirit do that for us today. So put on your Christ goggles and let's start, let's start studying for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we welcome regular guest, the Reverend Dr. Nathan Metter, Executive Assistant for Mission and Mercy for the South Wisconsin District. Pastor Metter, happy Easter and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. It, it's good to be back, Brady. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing just fine. Uh, I'll say one, one last time, happy Easter. Happy Easter to you, my friend. <laughs> so, yeah. um, are you celebrating Ascension Eve or uh, Ascension tomorrow? What's happening? Well, we're uh, actually it's 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 we're in that situation where as we are dealing with uh, not being in the parish anymore, it's this is my first ascension, not as a parish pastor, trying oh, to figure wow. out now I get to determine where I'm going to go to church this uh, this week. So it's it's a little, un, you know, not preaching ascension is a, is a unique thing. That is that is. And it's kind of interesting now. Now you become the church shopper. You'll learn, brother. You'll learn. The day comes. And you're almost like a church shopper now. That's like, oh my, look out. So so what happens? I'm not a church shopper. I'm 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 the designated I'm the pinch hitter. I I come off the bench a lot. I'm the I'm I'm the super sixth man. Super sixth man. I I had the opportunity to preach in Warren's, Wisconsin uh, this past weekend. I'll be in uh, uh, Delavan this coming weekend. Uh, Let's see, the following weekend I'll be in Reedsburg. Uh, These are both uh, filling in vacancies as well as serving uh, serving as in my function as mission and ministry coordinator for the district, uh, doing mission presentations and things like that. So I don't, Wonderful. Uh, I, I'm doing a lot. I'm still doing as much, probably, if not probably more preaching than I did when I was in the parish, but I certainly am logging a lot more miles. Well, thanks be to God. And that's a reminder to our listeners that as we serve in the LCMS, we have different uh, vocations and callings that we have for our pastors and other church workers. And one of them is working in the district office to help and support and encourage and instruct and and, and make sure that uh, the, the, the gospel is being preached throughout our districts and across our country and the world, really. So pray for pray for your district and uh, for South Wisconsin is where Pastor Metter is. And also, just a little side note, uh, did you go to uh, Three Bears Lodge in Warrens? I did not. I did not. I, I, <laughs> it, was, 
<laughs> it was a quick trip. It was out and back. So got it. Uh, got it. Uh, you know, nothing like driving two and a half hours to preach. So I'm but into go, that. Well, have I'm sermon. In. We'll tra- have sermon. We'll travel. <laughs> exactly. Well, Pastor, we are here today. Genesis chapter three, a very vital chapter in all of Scripture, and I'm excited to be able to study it. And in that joy, can you begin our time in prayer? Well, it's also fitting that we're talking about Genesis 3 in light of what happened yesterday. Amen. And, Amen and what that. I'd like to do is uh, open with a prayer that uh, our district staff put together and just pushed out to our district um, uh, in, in the sense of it is the result of the fall into sin that we face things like senseless tragedy. So uh, these, are the, these are the words that uh, the pulpits and, and altars of South Wisconsin will be praying this coming Sunday. So pray with me. Omnipotent and ever-present Lord, you remind us clearly in your word that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. In the horrific images of the school shooting in Texas, once again, our world has been shaken. Senseless violence causes the mountains of our hearts to tremble and the emotions of our hearts to roar and foam. In our anger, keep us from sin. Cause us to be still and know that you are God. In repentant faith, cause us to seek comfort from you for those who grieve the loss of life, both child and adult. Use your people to surround the wounded and the grieving so that they might know your presence and be filled with your word of life in the face of death. Remind us and them of the sure and certain hope of the resurrection we continue to confess in these last days of this Easter season. Grant, O Lord, that in our stillness, we will not give way to inaction. Move us to have open eyes, open ears, and open hearts for those who are silent and marginalized in our world. Raise us up to see, hear, and act in the lives of those suffering mentally and spiritually who might otherwise strike out in violence and evil. Lead us to be champions of every life that you've entrusted to us. Use us as instruments of your grace, light, and life in this world. While we will have tribulation in this world, we know that you, O Lord, are with us and you have overcome. You never abandon nor forsake. Lead us to reflect your image actively in this world so that we may all know that you have come in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from this helplessness and hopelessness and have prepared for us and those who trust in you, divine grace and mer- in your divine grace and mercy, your providential care now and perfect presence eternally. We pray this in the name of and for the sake of the crucified, risen, ascended, and returning Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text today, and especially today as we look at the text and a prayer request as Pastor has, has prayed, with all the tragedy we've had lately, um, we, we bring that to the Lord. And so send us an email if you have any questions or thoughts, KFUO at KFUO.org, or call on the slide program, 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Now, Pastor, as we look at Chapter 3, everything happens in the context, and also we have that filter that this is... Uh, uh, you know, a very formational, um, interpretive chapter for us to understand the rest of Scripture. So how do you want to start us off so we're starting off on the right foot? Well, first of all, um, this, with all due respect to our theologians and our our, uh, systematicians and exegetes who call this the fall into sin, I need to correct everyone. 
This is not the fall into sin. Ultimately, this is the story of, of the first stewardship crisis. Mm, okay. um, this comes from my doctoral work, I'm sorry. Uh, but what we have, what we have to understand um, is that Adam and Eve were created by God for a distinct purpose. Um, to understand the failure of Genesis 3, you have to go back to the creative purpose of Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, God, is cre- or God creates man in his image, male and female, he created them. And uh, he made them, and what you have to understand in that, um, he created the office of steward. Um, nothing in creation is owned by man, nothing. Uh, one of my favorite things to do when I do one of my stewardship seminars is, is tell people that I can prove to you that your, uh, your most prized possession doesn't belong to you. And so what I'll do is I'll have people say, okay, identify your most prized possession. Now, of course, there are the, the highly sanctified people in our midst who, uh, who will appeal to things like uh, their children. Uh, others of them are much more, uh, much more carnal, and they think about their golf clubs or their car or whatever. And then and I have them think about that image. And, and, then I, and then I take them to Psalm 24, verse 1, where it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So therefore, nothing that we count as possessions is ours. We were never created to possess anything. We were created to steward that which belongs to God for his purposes. And it goes back to that idea of being created in the image of God. That word image is the Hebrew word selam in the Septuagint. It's the word ikonos. It's the idea of, it's an it's idea of reflection. We were to human beings, male and female, in the unique created order that they were uh, created to be, were designed to reflect the will of the creator. And if you will, be that almost sacramental presence within creation, that incarnational presence within creation uh, to reflect it, to reflect the creator toward it. So when when we read in Genesis 1 that, that we were to... Uh, uh, subdue and have dominion over creation, that it, it is not a matter of us to say it's good to be the king because we're not the king. We are the king's servants. So we've been placed by here, created in his image to reflect the love and care for creation and for those in it uh, as, as stewards. Uh, and I would contend that uh, there is the, the one office that man held in the garden prior to Genesis 3 is the office of steward. Everything else that, uh, that flows from that, whether it's husband or, uh, or, or wife or parent or gardener or farmer or whatever, every one of those is derivative from the office of steward to care for and extend the image of the creator in the world. And what we see here in Genesis 3 is an abandonment of that vocation. It's stepping outside the box. Um, we 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 reach where we could, where we were never intended to reach. We we take possession of that which is not ours, and it gets to the very heart of the problem that we have in our world. It's the reason why we are dealing with the daily reminders of suffering and brokenness and death whether it is the, 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 the senseless images that we saw in, on the news in the last 24 hours or the, the continual drumbeat of, of illness 
or the the times when you get that horrible phone call from your your loved ones saying that someone that you know and love now sleeps uh, in the hope of the resurrection. We we live in that uh, brokenness, uh, and and that is the challenge that we face, and we see the root of that here. But it's also important for us to understand too that this is um, this sets in and right in the heart of this this failure, and we'll get to this and we get in the text, right in the, right in the heart of this, we cannot look at Genesis 3 as the, 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 the reason for plan B. Jesus is never plan B. Mm-hmm. Jesus is plan A prime. He, it is, you know, it is, you know, when we hear this in the Gospels, when he talks about before the foundation of the world, um, so, so we dare not think of, uh, of the salvific act of Jesus as, as simply a, a hastily planned rescue mission. Okay, this is not that at all. Um, God, in his you know, unfathomable foreknowledge, knew that this was coming. And he already had in place the vehicle to deliver us. And, and this, was always the, this was always the plan. And, and so... While we were the cause of the fall, while we were the unfaithful stewards of that which God entrusted to us, God has been from the foundation, from before the foundation of the world, that one who is uh, Yeshua, the God who saves. Well, you're, you're, that kind of puts a whole different, not, not a new spin. It, it, it brings the fullness of our understanding of this. And I just want to rehash this because, um, because it is so important. Like I said, every time I've read through this, every year in Confirmation I go through it, is that understanding of, yes, okay, it, it, this is a stupid crisis, that they were called stewards and they didn't steward the way that God had called them to steward. And then secondly, we can easily get to that point where we look at the story and go, all right, Jesus, God had a plan. Well, that didn't work. I better send Jesus now. And without us understanding from be- before the foundation of the world, there was a plan, a plan of love. And so we can get very caught up in this kind of like, you know, God doesn't know the plan <laughs> and he mm-hmm. clearly does. And so that's good for us to remember as a biblical um, foundation as we look at our text. So pastor, we have quite a bit to go through. So I want to dig in. Are, are you ready to start? Do you have anything else you want to share? We, we better get moving or cause you know, you and you and I can mess up. You, you and I can take two hours on six <laughs> verses. I can't imagine how we're going to get the whole chapter. So you, better, you exactly. may as well get moving. All right. So let's just begin in verse one. We'll be digging through a little bit at a time. And, and with that, we are reading from the English standard version from Genesis chapter three. I'm just going to do verse one because that sets the tone. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Pastor, I'm going to ask a real, well, I'm going to ask a question that's very foundational is, who is the serpent? Well, we know from elsewhere in scripture that this is a reference to the evil one. I mean, you hear, and, and when we, you know, don't think, don't think harmless little garter snake either. Um, uh, you know, it, it, this is one of those things. If, if you really want to do wrap around, you see, this is one of the things probably we are so stinking Western that we think of everything in a linear fashion. And even, even the fact, even the way we look at the Bible, 
you know, we, we sit here and we look at it as a book and we think of it as a linear document. Well, we start with creation and we go to eschatology, you know, beginning to end, right? But one of the things that we have to understand that right now, if you really want to understand who the serpent is, you have to go, you have to fast forward to the end. And, and this is the dragon that John sees in his image in the Revelation. This is the one who has pursued the woman who was to give birth to the son. This is the one who whose tail went through the heavens to knock down the stars, which is a figurative, which is a figurative image of the of the demonic of the fallen angels. So, so you see that this this is the evil one. This is the devil. This is the this is the ancient dragon who has been working against us because we are in the image of God from the point of his own fall, which exists sometime between the end of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three. Right. I, I can't tell you that it, I can't tell you that it was 1118 on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Okay. But we know that somewhere in eternity, and this is where we also get the image of, you know, where, where we get the image of the, of the battle that existed in heaven. And Jesus, I saw Satan fall like a star. He says that in the gospels. Um, so this is the serpent that is thrown down. This is the evil one that is thrown down, Lucifer, the devil, into the world. Now, the question is, why did he, why on earth did he send him in the world? Why didn't he just squash him? Well, the problem is, if he squashes him when he falls, then he has to squash you when you fall with no chance of redemption. Now, the devil, mm. he has no shot of redemption. Okay, he has no shot at all at redemption. And what we see here, and this is one of those things, uh, uh, you know, I am a remember I grew up in St. Louis. And uh, while I know that you are serving in the state of hockey, um, you know, the, the Blues are in the playoffs right now. And, and, and while they're not. Yeah, thank you. Say, say thank you to St. Louis. Uh, but anyway, um, but but we are dealing with the evil serpents of the uh, the St. Louis Blues right now are, e are dealing with the evil serpents that are the Colorado Avalanche and Nassim Kadri. Um, so so you have these guys, and and in hockey, th this is what we see here. This is what's happening here in Genesis chapter three. In in old time hockey, you know, you always had the big goon. And he would skate around and you always put him on the line with your fastest, best player. And what he would do is he would protect him. But then eventually what would happen is every once in a while, the goon would get himself in trouble and the referee would stick his arm up in the air and have a delayed penalty. And he knows that he's going to the penalty box. He cannot avoid that. So what the goon does is he skates along with, he finds the best player on the ice with him and starts to needle him, sticks his, you know, sticks his stick in his rib cage, calls his mother all kinds of names, and eventually in hopes that the good guy would retaliate. And, and what would happen, the good guy acts. And when the good guy acts, here's what happens. Both of them go to the penalty box. See, Satan knows that his judgment is finished. He is the, the evil, Satan and the evil angels, they have been sealed. There is no redemption for them. So all he can do is try and lash out at God to hurt him as close as possible to his heart. And there are, there is no one closer to the heart of, of God than human beings. He loves us enough to sacrifice his son for us. So what he, so what's the, the best way for God, the best way for the evil one to hurt God 
is to deceive, to take away, to lead astray those who are closest to God's heart, and that's us. So this is what this is what the, he does. He's crafty, and he does it not in a frontal assault. You know, he doesn't come up and say, "Hi, Eve, I'm the devil. Do you want to play today?" No, he saunters up and has a casual conversation that is filled with semi-truth and dripping with poisonous lie. And if we bite in the conversation, we die. And as we look at that, it's, it's only a few words. It's, it's all it is. Did God actually say? And that is, you see this all the time, you know, especially among children, but we do as an adults too, where there's this kind of little like, well, is that actually true? And what we once thought was a guaranteed home run, no questions asked. And by the way, and now I want to put baseball into this, but I'm not going to because you already did hockey, um, is, you know, it, 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 the full confidence in those words, all it takes is somebody to say, did God really say? And that's exactly what happened for Eve. Did God actually say this? And so this is a good reminder for you, our listeners, is, is this the word of God or is it not? And to make sure that we stand firmly through everything, especially like we talked about with Taya tragedy, that we cling to the words that we clearly know in scripture and, and to be able to see that foundation as the word, which is Christ. So pastor, any other thoughts on that? We could talk all day in verse one, but that is important well, for us to have that foundation. Well, exactly. See what, see what he does um, for our grammarians in the crowd. Um, the sa- Satan's favorite punctuation mark is the question mark. You know, it, it, the idea behind it is to, he does, the devil cannot grab you and snatch you away. That's what Jesus goes about in, in he, Jesus goes on about that in, in John chapter 10. You know, no one can snatch them out of my hand. That is a sure and certain statement. However, what he can do is introduce the question. The question which trips your trigger, which leads you to wander outside of Jesus' hand. You see, Mm. no one will be snatched in the fires of hell. What they will do is they will voluntarily, under deception, walk away from the divine protection of, of, of God's sheepfold. And, and, and it's, it's that tuft of grass just on the other side of the fence. You know, the grass is always greener idea. And, and you know, and unfortunately what we find out here in Genesis three and in just about every other, every other aspect of life, the, the green grass on the other side of the fence is probably AstroTurf. Hmm. So pastor, let's continue on verses two and three. So now we just have a question. And then the woman responds. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Once again, as I told our listeners, it's always good to actually recheck the word of God. And the question is, is that exactly what God said or not? It's not. You go back. And he said, you can have, and, and here, here is what happens. This is you know, the devil in his questioning. 
what he's doing is he's actually deceiving the eye, not the ear. He uses the ear to deceive the eye. And we'll see that play out in the rest of this chapter. Uh, it's one of the reasons why um, the ear is the orifice of faith. The eye is what causes us our problems. Um, you know, these wonderful senses that God made us with, um, of, of them, the easiest is to deceive is the eye. That's why we have people who make millions of dollars as illusionists. They don't actually do magic tricks. They just deceive the eye to make it look like they did did magic tricks. And, and what happens is we see, we see two things. We see a reality, we see a failure of the eye, and a, a, we see the failure of a hedge. Well, the, the, the first deception of the eye, and, and Eve is so close to the truth, but she misses it. You know, we may, if she would have simply stopped with, we may eat of any of the fruit of the trees in the garden, nor eat it, uh, but we shall not touch or not eat of the tree of the, the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. If she would have stopped there, she would have been absolutely factually correct. Because what you're doing then is saying, okay, every tree, every tree in the entire creation is yours except that one. And, and what we do, uh, the logic looks at it and says, wow, 99.99% of the trees in all creation are mine. I win. But what happens is Satan twists that word and he uses what is likely a hedge that, that we, you know, and this is one of the things we see in Judaism. You know, God gives 10 commandments and they, they build 603 other ones around it to try and fence it off. Um, and, and perhaps that's what happened here. You know, you know, we can't eat of it if we don't touch it. And, and any time human beings add to the word of God, we are opening up a uncertainty and B, uh, we, we are raising up the, 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 the door of the camel or the door of the tent so that the camel can get his nose under. And once he's got his nose under, he's all the way in and, and, and he's pretty big and he stinks. So we don't want him in the tent. Um, so, so the reality is, um, and this is important, this is important for us as Lutheran Christians, because we run into some of our cousins in greater Christendom who seek to put these kind of hedges around the word of God, where we talk about, um, you know, is, does the Bible contain the word of God or is the word of God? And, and that seems like a logic, that seems like a, a, a logical question except it's, it's incredibly dangerous because if all of a sudden we say it contains the word of God, now some of it's packing peanuts. And then the question is what comes in and what goes out? Um, so it is the word of God. The question then comes is uh, who, you know, do, you know, who is the author of salvation? Is it, do, do, does God start it and we finish it like our Roman friends say, or do we start it with our decision and then God finishes it with like, like our Armenian friends say, or is it simply God's gracious action, which makes it a question, which changes it from a question mark to an exclamation point. So it's important that we limit ourselves to what God really says. And, and the word, and, and so what we see here in, in Eve is the absolute positive danger and that, that, that Adam and Eve, because Adam is not guiltless here. One of the things we get here is later on in the chapter, we realize that in all likelihood, he's, he's standing right there the whole time. Okay. Uh, so, so what's happening in order to prevent themselves from falling, they actually open themselves up to failure. So right now, is, I'm trying to catch my head up a little bit to this. Here's what we're going to do. 
I'm going to read verses four and five. Because like you said, she added to the word of God, which seems relatively harmless at this point. So I'm going to read four and five, and then we'll get to our break because we learned very quickly that it was not harmless addition to God's word. Verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die for God knows that when you eat of your, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to desire to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So right now we're going to talk more about that on the other side of our break. We are studying Genesis chapter three with Pastor Nathan Metter and we will be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. And welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 3 with Pastor Nathan Metter. And as we, we've gone through this, boy, there, there's a lot to unpack. However, we get to this basic premise. Are you adding to the Word of God or are you not? And then the devil enters again and he, he takes even that and he makes a question even more where he says, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The question there is, he's the father of lies. So is he? Is it a full lie? Is it a part lie? What's happening here? It really is. It, it's so tricky. It's almost like a little word here, a little, you know, a little bit of a dialectical situation here. And it sounds pretty good. But is it? Pastor, what are your thoughts on the devil's response? Well, here's the thing. Let's say I give you an eight ounce glass of water and I put just a little arsenic in it, okay? Is it, would you, if you knew that it was poison, would you drink it? And the answer is no. See, and yet this is what we see playing out on a regular basis. It is even playing out within the Christian church today. Genesis 3 is what we should look at when, when they sit here, when, when we as, as, as Missouri Synod Lutherans get hammered for insistence on pure doctrine and pure teaching. This is this is the this is the challenge. You know, um, we we are not doing this because we are we because we are some sort of sacerdotalist or priestly people. The reality is this: anyone who introduces false teaching is introducing that which is poisonous to the soul. Okay, and 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 the question is, 
If you knew it was poison, how much of it would you drink? The answer is none of it. Pass the Dasani, please. You know, uh, the sealed bottle, the one that hasn't been tampered with. You know, and, and the reality is, uh, the, the reality is, you know, and, and here is where the poison comes in, 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 in the twisting of the word. And, and this is one of the things we have to remember. Every lie, every good lie, air quotes, air quotes, good lie, has mm. to contain an element of truth to it. Okay. Now, so this is like this, you know, and the idea behind it is, you know, you know, and, and he is the, the aggressiveness, you know, is, is not a, not a, not a situation where, you know, if you take a bite out of it, you're not immediately going to foam at the mouth and drop over debt, but you're going to introduce death into the world. And so that's what he does. You know, he, he introduces, well, hey, I got a, I got away with it. And this is where this keeps unfolding. And, and, and we see this in their very first offspring. You turn to chapter four and, and what happens? She thinks in, in, in light of this promise, she thinks that she's received a man from the Lord. She thinks she's given birth to the Messiah. And what he really turns out to be is a murderer. OK, so so what, what happens is you're right. Death does not happen instantaneously. Death now has become part of our spiritual DNA and we will be bearing with that death all the way until the end of time. Even those of us who live post cross and, and, and what's so frustrating about this from our perspective as their offspring, as their seed, <laughs> What, what he gets them to reach for is something that they already have. Look at it. He says, what's he say? You're going to be like God. Mm. Go back to Genesis 1. They were already made that way. Right. They were True. already in mm. the image of God. They were already there to reflect the, 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 the glove and the, pers- and the personage and the, and the passion and, com- and care of the Lord in creation. He has them reaching sinfully for something that is already theirs. And in the reaching, they lose everything. And so do we. It's, and that's, it's, it's fascinating because that's something that I, I would have I would have agreed with. But it was kind of like, well, wait, they were like God. And here's a question mm-hmm. that comes up in my mind as you say that. Would we say that they knew good and evil before this point or they didn't? My, what are your thoughts? Well, I would say at this point, well, you see, remember, this, this, this turns, and, and I think it's important that we have to go back to the last words of chapter 2, where it says they were, go back to the very last words of chapter 2, and it said, and the man and his wife were both, were, were both naked and were not ashamed. Then you fast forward to after this little forbidden fruit incident, and what is the first thing that happens to them? And then the very next verse, I don't want to steal your thunder, but I'm going to read it anyway. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and uh, they sewed mm-hmm. fig leaves together to uh, made them. So see what happens is I think they were aware of it. They just didn't care because uh, they didn't have to care because God, ha- because they were covered by the glory of the Lord. And when they step outside of that, they look down and say, "Ooh, I'm exposed to the world." And all of a sudden, now we're all hiding, and and we're sewing fig leaves together, you know. And 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 that's just it—dry, itchy. You just hope they weren't poison ivy, you know, and, and, and things like that. Uh, but the reality is, so prior to this, they knew only the goodness of God because they did not know what evil looked like until they stepped outside of the goodness of God. And in, in rebellion, 
they stand exposed. And, and what is exposed is not God, but them and their foolishness and their, I, I don't, I, their stupidity. You know, uh, it, it's simply, uh, you know, and, and this, okay, now fast forward to the second Adam's response to Satan twisting the word. Go to Matthew chapter four. We're not going to actually physically go there, but mentally flip in your mental Rolodex to Matthew chapter four when we talk about the temptation of Jesus. What exactly happens? Three times Satan goes back to his old playbook. Did God really say? And three times, the second Adam, Jesus, gives the answer that you wish the first Adam would have, would have given. Man does not live by bread alone, but every mouth, every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. By the way, that, that's not an accident that that's the first one. Okay? It's a food thing. Okay? That's not, an, that's not accidental. That's by design. Okay, so 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 he it, so it's the first the first thing is the physical, and then it is then it is both the uh, then then it deals with power and place, all of that in in the temptation. So so what happens in Matthew four is the the mirror opposite of our failure in Genesis three. Jesus is coming to be that seed singular that we're going to get to eventually maybe. Um, that, 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 that is the undoing of this. And a few other aspects to this, and that really brings us, Matthew 4 is a great text for everyone to look at, to see the continual work of the devil beyond this time. So she sees the fruit. It looks good. How many times have we had those kind of temptations? Well, it looks good, but it's astroturf, not real grass, as you said before. Mm-hmm. She sees the fruit, takes it, and eats it, and I remember growing up, and I sometimes I still have this pop in my mind at time to time, is our vision is that she's on her own. She's just hanging out. Adam's on the other side, you know, just, you know, just sitting by the beach or something. And he has no idea what she's doing. But then it says that she ate one and then she gave it to him who was with her and he ate. So you have a number of other issues here is that, first of all, he's there. He's the one that received the command to not eat of that fruit, right? So he received right. it, then Eve was created. Secondly, he's not fulfilling his vocation as a, a, the, the, the husband, and he's not fulfilling his vocation that God had given to them. So now their eyes are opened. You know, they both have their faults. We see this in, um, in Timothy and later on in the New Testament. And now they realize that they made a mistake and they see their nakedness. Eyes are opened exactly what was promised, mm-hmm. but not exactly what they fully thought through. So, Pastor, anything else in those verses through seven? Well, don't, don't go too quick past one little word in there. And this, uh-huh. this it's the word took. You have to understand, um, you know, we, you know, as we talked about before, all of creation belongs to the God. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Mm. So what she is doing, you know, in it, this is the first time that human beings are latching on to every, anything. Prior to this, God was giving. God gives, God gives, God gives, God gives. Man receives, man receives, man receives, man stewards. Now, all of a sudden, we have this. So I want you to understand, take your hand and hold it out, palm up. You know, open hand, palm up. That's the posture of a steward receiving. What happens here in Genesis 3, uh, in, in Genesis 3, verse 6, what happens is the woman takes, turn your hand over upside down and clutch it. 
Now, what can you receive with your hand in that position? The answer is nothing. But now let's unpack that. What does it mean that Eve is taking? What is she taking? She is not stealing a piece of fruit from the local farmer's market. This is not produce. This is not shoplifting. What this ultimately is, and we have a word for taking that which belongs to someone else, and that is theft. Okay. But then you have to ask, what are we stealing? Are we stealing a 20 cent piece of fruit? Are we, is this a felonious, is this, is this a felony theft? No, it's even greater because what she's really taking is God's place. So what happens here, failed stewardship in the garden is actually idolatry. She's stealing God's place. She's saying, I know better than God. And this becomes the root of every sin. Whatever, you know, you know this, is, this is long before the Decalogue is laid down at, at Sinai. And what happens from here going forward is every other manifest sin after that has its root in this, saying, I know better than God. That 18-year-old kid down in Texas said, I know better than God and killed 19 people. Mm. You know, uh, the, the philandering husband says, I know better than God, and he sleeps with somebody else's wife. Uh, the, the, uh, you know, the employee who, who works six hours but gets paid for eight. You know, there's all, and it, every sin ultimately gets it back, take, takes us back to here to 3.6, Genesis 3.6, where we are taking that which doesn't belong to us, which ultimately is God's place. And so under, so, and that's where, that's where it's important for us to understand that as failed stewards, we are not just cheap and miserly. We are outside of God's grace and all of the rest of the burden that we find in the rest of this chapter is, is still fall, befalling us today. And as we look at the, the rest of these verses, we have about 12 minutes left in our time. Here's what we want to do is we are, we're laying the groundwork of a failed stewardship. They were called steward and they failed. And for us, we will put ourselves wanting, wanting to be like God. And now we see how they <laughs> try to take the steps back. I want to be but I don't want to take responsibility for my own actions. And so we also hear that in our own lives, and we have to at least get through verse 15 today. So here we go. Verse 8 through 13. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So pastor, they were, they were kind of uh, put in the corner and said, what happened? And what did they do? They blamed somebody else. This sounds familiar, I think, um, oh, in our lives. The, and the buck passing is not going to stop. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, and here, here's the beautiful thing. Already here, you know, we, we, we have such a negative view of Genesis 3. But already here, in the question, where are you? Read that 
not as, you know, God is not the doting grandfather who doesn't know what's going on in his garden. Okay. He knows that's an invitation for confession. And what do we see rather than falling on the mercies of God? They blame, they deflect, you know, and, 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 you know, and, and it's, it's, here, here's the funny thing. Look at what, look at what he does. Who does Adam eventually blame? He just doesn't blame, he doesn't just blame his bride. He blames God. Well, you put her here. You know, that's like saying, you know, that, you know, you know, it's blaming, it's without owning, without confessing our sin. And that's one of the things. And, And we see all of these relationships that are severed by sin. Sin severs relationships. That's the thing we need to understand. So you have the relationship severed between God and man. Remember, they walked and talked face to face with God in the garden without fear. Now, gone. They're hiding from God. Then they were without they they were without separation, man and woman. They were together constantly, and now they're at each other's throat. And now, and as we as we see the rest of the thing play out, as the rest of the chapter play out, the judgment, the very creation from which they were taken will work against them. Every one of those relationships were broken, and 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 that is and that's the consequence. And by the way, that's part of the reason why we that's part of the reason why we struggle with stewardship today. Because even we, we had at no point, you search the rest of this, this, this chapter in English, German, Hebrew, Swahili, Greek, whatever, at no point are we ever released from this task of stewardship. We don't get fired. We just bear the consequences of our own failure. And, and, and that's part of the reason I believe we have so much trouble with stewardship in life. Is we are carry, we are we are called to carry out a pre-fall vocation in a world that we broke, and we are still bearing the consequences. It we we it's the it's the physical sweat of our brow, it's the emotional sweat of our brow, it's the relational sweat of our brow. It wears us down until we die and go back to the ground from which we're taken. So as we hear these words, we well we see an example of what we will see. Uh, in our own world today, which we all need to repent over, that he asked he asked those questions, and and we well we're kind of we're nailed to the ground in our understanding of our own brokenness, and now we see the the implications of this. So what I'll do is I'll read verses fourteen, and I will go all the way through sixteen, um, and 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 talk about the implications of this as the Lord God continues to speak. The Lord God said to the serpent, verse fourteen. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all and above all the beasts of the field, and your belly shall go, and the dust you shall eat, and that all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Actually, I'm going to stop there, Pastor. Whenever I teach this part, 14 and 15, one of the big questions that comes up is uh so are you saying that snakes used to have legs and i was like well that might not be the main emphasis of here so how do you keep us on track here to see the main point of 1415 well the bottom line is he's going to be the lowest of the law um he's going to be the lowest of the law he will be um in he will bear the righteous judgment he will be under feet remember in the eastern culture to be under someone's foot is the lowest level of disdain this is why when i am in the presence of my dear friend nabil noor i never cross my legs and show him the heel the sole of my foot because Mm -hmm. if i do it shows that i'm disrespecting him that i believe that he's underneath me 
Um, that's what, that's one of the nice things about knowing people who, who grew up and lived in different cultures, you know, right. so that is the underside. And, and then of course, then you see the wounding, the one wound while painful, the bruised heel, if you ever, ever bruised your heel, it hurts like the Dickens, you know, and you can't get around, but it's not terminal like a head wound. And, and, mm. uh, and that's, and that's the point, you know, so, so he is underfoot. He is underfoot. So God knows who the ultimate instigator is. Notice, you know, now this is not like a bad episode of the old Flip Wilson show, you know, where the devil made me do it. Um, he knows that the, the judgment falls on the serpent first because he knows he's the instigator. Okay, he, get the, he gets the extra two-minute penalty for instigation. But, but the bottom line is what we see in the rest of the chapter is the real consequence is borne by the one who does the failing, the one who should know better and didn't. And that is a constant thing that the church has to deal with as individual Christians and as the church. Constantly, we know better and we do the opposite. And that's the frustrating thing about being sinful. And, and, and that's one of the things when you look at relationships um, so often, you know, and we're seeing it now in light of what happened in Texas, we are blaming we're, we're blaming the system. We're blaming uh, uh, inanimate objects. We're blaming all kinds of other things rather than the first step that that very question, Adam, where are you? Is an invitation to look in the mirror of God's law and realize that, that if you have a relationship that is that is that is broken, the first place you must start is what role have I played? And now, it, it, you know, there, you know, you may be it may be your your faulty reaction. You may not be the cause, but there's your faulty reaction. What sin do I need to own, confess, repent of and be absolved of and repent and change so that I can restore relationships. That's an important thing. Um, that's where that question was. And then we see this play out in the rest of this chapter. And so as you look at that, there's a promise in verse mm -hmm. 15. And what's that right. promise? Jesus. I hate to, I, you know, I hate to sound like the, the, the little kid in fourth grade Sunday school, but the answer is Jesus. He is the seed. And there's that wonderful word play in there, and you don't want to make too much of it, but it's pretty solid. The fact that when he talks to the serpent, he uses a plural. So there's more than one of his offspring. Okay. Mm -hmm. But God is specifically talking about one seed of the woman. By the way, that explains the beginning of chapter four. Because when, you know, Adam knows Eve, she has a baby and thinks she's received a man from the Lord. I don't want to steal anybody's thunder for tomorrow, but tough. I'm here first. Um, but but the, the reality is she thinks she's given birth to the Messiah because it's right on the right on the heels of God's promise. Right. And then we see what happens. The, the, that firstborn son is a murderer, not a Messiah. But and, 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 and so so think about this. So, so what we have. So, so think about this. There's a divergence happening right here. There, there's a divergence happening right here, and, and, and the divergence takes place like this. From, from Genesis 3.15 on, human beings are anticipating a Messiah. Every firstborn male for the generations succeeding, every firstborn male you know, for, the, for the generations succeeding will, uh, will, will, be, will, will be, they're anticipating a Messiah, Okay. But 
the Satan, he's anticipating his end. So every, imagine this, every firstborn male, he doesn't, Satan doesn't know this. We can't, don't give Satan too much credit. Right. Don't give Satan, he doesn't know who's coming. So every male that is born, every male that is born is, 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 uh, you know, every male that is born is the potential one that's going to crush his head. He doesn't know. So he dread of every male that is born. And, but we're, and then we see it play down through Abraham, through David, through Solomon, to that one who is born in Bethlehem. There's a great a statue or on the wall at a, the call, well, it was called the Chiara, Chiara Center in Springfield, Illinois. And it was right to the right of where we would worship for doxology. You and I have been part of that. Mm -hmm. And it had the crucifix, had Jesus on the cross, and right below it was a skull. And this brings us back to that, that translation that says, you know, he will, he will basically nip your heel, but he, he will crush your head. And that reminder of this is that first gospel that is presented to us. First gospel and promise that they've been waiting for, that waited for every generation, even probably thought, this is the one, this firstborn child. And now it has come true in Christ. Now, past about three minutes left in our time, I'm going to read 16 through 19, and we will end our time just kind of making sure we touch on those points. So let's get to 16. Mm -hmm. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. One of the biggest uh, advices I got was when your your wife is having a child and about to give birth, make sure you don't quote 316 to her at that moment to give her comfort. Pastor, any other advice you have in these verses? Yeah. Oh, uh, childbirth? Yeah. Yeah. Don't breathe on her. I got yelled at for breathing on my, my wife all three times that she had children. Uh, you know, so so it, it, it's one of those things where... Uh, you know, pain and suffering are a manifestation of sin and death. The tragedy that we see in Texas is a manif manifestation of sin and death. And it should lead, these type of things should lead us to righteous indignation, but it dare not stop there. It mm. should also drive us in repentant faith to the knees to our knees before Jesus, because we understand here, here, here's something that is so hard to understand. Every human being, if you have flesh and blood and a heart beating in you, every human being is capable of grave evil. Every human being. And, and, you know, you know, we, we, we do ourselves a disservice. We are, and we are dishonest with ourselves. If we sit there and say, Oh, we would never do that. I could never do that. Well, yes, you can. See the depth of evil that we are capable of. Every human being has that depth. By the grace of God, 
we have hedges put up around us. We've got our, we've got, you know, the law of God. Those of us who, under, those of us who, who have brought, been brought to faith in Jesus Christ, we understand that, that God's law is that curb, rule, and guide. It keeps, you know, it, it, it curbs us from manifest sin. It guides, it, 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 it's the rule that we understand that, okay, if I step outside of this, I'm going to get busted. So I don't want to get pulled over. And, and then third is, and third is, it shows me how to live in a godly way. So, so that the law still exists, but, you know, and, and so that's what we're called to. We're, we're, we're called to this, but, you know, we, we need to understand that these, this manifest evil that we see, that we are capable of, is only checked by God. It can only be checked by God. We're going to have to end our time right there because we have gone through I this. Knew there was no, I knew there was no way we were going to get through this whole chapter. There was no chance. <laughs> Pastor Nathan Metter, Executive Assistant for Mission and Mercy for the South Wisconsin District, leading us to God's strong word from Genesis chapter 3. Pastor Metter, thank you for bringing us his gifts. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep it in the palm of his hand.